ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! What's going on? What's good? Here we are, May 9th, 2021. This is that particular thing here where we are about to step into the seventh season of the Boxing Source radio show. That's right. Been through six years, six years of doing this podcast, man. Six years, man. That's right. First podcast was done in Las Vegas the day after Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao. Yep, that's right. And we have been doing a podcast ever since, you know, talking about the sport of boxing. Uh, we've had multiple discussions over the years, have had interviews over the years, and now we're, you know, just coming up on the seventh season of the Boxing Source radio show. And uh, check this out, man. Um, we are going to definitely get into it here uh, for this particular episode, man. Uh, you know, for those that are, you know, listening in, thanks for listening in to this particular podcast. Uh, we are going to, you know, just go over pretty much just one fight uh, from yesterday. That's going to be the main topic here is that's, you know, been the whole thing about, you know, what's been going on each year, you know, ever since that particular fight between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao you usually have a big fight around this time, Cinco de Mayo weekend uh, of the year. And this year, uh, even though we didn't have one last year, of course, because of the lockdowns, it was a fight that was scheduled to happen around this time last year. That's right. Canelo Alvarez versus... Billy Joe Saunders, man, you know, and um, this time it was going to be for the WBC, WBA, WBO, and Ring Magazine Super Middleweight Championships. Now, a year ago, both of these guys were going to fight at middleweight, but that wasn't necessarily uh the case here so uh now you have both of these guys you know they're at super middleweight and um 
it was a fight that you know few people were looking forward to uh going into this particular fight even though that canelo alvarez was a fairly good favorite over billy joe saunders there were some people that felt like billy joe saunders with his um boxing ability uh his movement around the ring uh would give you know canelo a few issues in this particular fight and canelo himself said before the fight that you know he looked at and studied the style of billy joe saunders and felt like it was going to be a difficult fight he didn't say it was going to be a hard fight he said it was going to be difficult and you know with that being said we went into this particular fight and you know folks had some expectations i had expectations of my own that almost came to complete fruition in this bout um but you know let's uh you know get into it here um as you know we got canelo alvarez uh you know like i said he came in there unified champion WBA, WBC, and Ring Magazine champion going into this fight. Billy Joe Saunders came in there with the WBO Super Middleweight title, was undefeated at 30-0. Canelo Alvarez had 55 wins, one loss and two draws. Of course, the one loss to Floyd Mayweather, right? And it was, you know, a battle that, you know, it kind of like seemed that if Billy Joe Saunders was going to be able to have much of a chance here, he would have had to been very active, one, and be able to affect Canelo with his shots. And we didn't see that within those first few rounds, even though he was trying to pump the jab there with his right hand, him being a southpaw, him also trying to have foot position and have his foot outside of Canelo's foot. Didn't happen in those first few rounds, but he started to adjust a little bit, started to move uh, better within the, you know, at the end of the third round and over to the fourth and the fifth round. So he started to get a little bit more success with his jab, you know, while Canelo was just, you know, coming forward, hands up, you know, moving side to side, left and right, trying to get to Billy Joe Saunders to get him to the ropes because from the first round, you saw that, Canelo Alvarez was just trying to get Billy Joe Saunders to the ropes and then wail in at him, throwing body shots, hard body shots. And after doing that, you know, just trying to mix things up with his uh, couple of combinations, his foot feints and his hand feints. Um, and we saw like in the, in the second round that Billy Joe Saunders felt the power of Canelo Alvarez right off the bat with the body shot. In that, you know, he would have had to really think about getting up close to Canelo Alvarez to see if he would have any success on that. Now, within this particular um, bout from the second, I'd say the second through the fourth and fifth rounds, you also saw Canelo's counterpunching game, you know, come into play. And he was able to, you know, land a couple of times there with, you know, left hand counters and a few right-hand counters, but he was also looking for, you know, the uh, uppercut, right right uppercut uh, there. You know what I mean? Uh, he was looking for that, and he was missing a good amount of times with the right-handed uppercut. 
uh, for the first few rounds of that fight. But you've seen that that was the opening that he was trying to look for. Um, but with that being said, you kind of like seeing Billy Joe Saunders have his confidence be up there a little bit within the fifth and sixth round. Uh, but by the time you got to the seventh round, you saw that the poise of Canelo was still, you know, present there. He didn't seem, you know, flustered. He didn't seem frustrated. Uh, he was still, you know, keeping to his game plan. It was just that he wasn't, you know, that active with his offensive activity. And, you know, I kind of like wanted to see if Billy Joe Saunders was going to kind of like increase his offensive productivity there. Um, but he wasn't quite able to uh, do that enough, you know, to the point where uh, he could have, you know, uh, Canelo in trouble. And then the eighth round came up and you just saw that Canelo was just throwing a few shots. And then he, you know, landed with the uh, right uppercut uh, while Billy Joe Saunders kind of like ducked down. And that, you know, did what it did to uh, Billy Joe Saunders' eye. And when Canelo saw that, he was like, oh, man, oh, yeah, I got him now. I got him. And that's when you've seen him playing to the crowd. You've seen him with his arms up and everything like that and backing up Billy Joe Saunders and, you know, just taking his time to try to dissect Billy Joe Saunders. And... By the time the uh, bell rang for the end of the eighth round, Canelo was like, yeah, 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 I got him, I got him. And, you know, pumped the crowd up. And you saw there with uh, Mark Tibbs on the corner of Billy Joe Saunders uh, saying like, hey, um, you know, what, what went on uh, there? And before the ninth round came up, Mark Tibbs waved off the bout. So was a TKO victory for Canelo Alvarez. He is now the WBC, WBA, and now the WBO and Ring Magazine Super Middleweight Champion, handing the first loss to Billy Joe Saunders. Now, uh, just getting in here real quick, man, right off the bat, we got, got someone, uh, one of our guest panelists joining us here. It should be from Atlanta, Mr. Mike. Mr. Mike, you checking in here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, correction, I only live in Atlanta. I'm not from Atlanta. I'm from the uh, beautiful, great state of Alabama. Shout out to Deontay Wilder. Um, but yeah, man, I definitely, I enjoyed the fight, even though it was eventually one-sided. I enjoyed the fight. I did not enjoy the way sort of the announcers were against Canelo. I didn't enjoy how every bit of opportunity that they could have to favor Billy Joe Saunders that they chose to lean toward him. Like, you know, people are different in how, how they score. However, it's just, it was like certain rounds where Canelo would land big shots. I, I'm going to go through my scores in a second, but I'm just kind of mm -hmm. giving you my my thought process, but certain rounds where he would land big shots and literally you would see the body reaction and just how hard his shots were landing. And you just like, man, I'm glad that's not me, you know? And you could just see like, like from watching his shots, 
early in the fight, I'm like, man, the beginning is the end is near. You know, that's just what I just felt in my mind that this is literally going to be over soon. So, um, round one, I said Canelo won by the big body shots throughout the round, and you could just see that they affected Billy Joe Saunders. You could see like he like, oh man, like like wow, he he does actually hit this hard. And so, shout out to Canelo and, and Team Canelo for for understanding that we're gonna stop him because my game plan is gonna be. I'm going to go to your body early. I'm going to slow you down. I'm going to make you very afraid to throw jabs, to throw anything, because what's going to follow, what's going to lead, what's going to follow is me throwing body shots. And that's exactly what the man did. He threw body shots. And, you know, round two, I also gave to Canelo. Um, Billy Joe Saunders was not throwing enough shots to overcome the heavy shots that Canelo was throwing. And so... He seemed so affected by the shots that he was like moving across the ring from every big shot. And then he started to look a bit winded. Like he was, you know how somebody sort of is like too big into the moment? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be real. Sort of like how Deontay Wilder was in that other fight. Like it was, it was, a, it was probably a few things. It was probably some outside substance, but it was also that he was adrenaline wise too, too caught up into the moment. Just my interpretation. Um, Substance. I like that. <laughs> yeah, the man, he he's never looked like that. Looked very lethargic. Uh, round three, I gave to Canelo again. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders' hands was at his side. He was reluctant to jab, very likely due to the counter body shots. And the shots he was throwing was, were very light. It was not enough to deter Canelo. I think you said this somewhere. But you got to throw... You got to throw shots that at least make Canelo question if he's if he's gonna continue doing that. Like, like to make him at least consider: should I do this? There was nothing in the first three rounds, first four, to to truly make Canelo like reconsider: should I do this? And so mm-hmm. Billy Joe Saunders was not like sitting down, which I'm not saying he should have sat down on on his shots, but he was sort of like Polly Malinaji where he would punch. And then just not really plant his feet and just punch, punch, arm punch, arm punch, arm punch. And then Canelo just like, that's it. You hit I'll let you, I'll let you hit me on my head. I'll let you hit me wherever. Because that's not doing anything. You can just see they were straight arm punches. Yeah. You could also see that he was just like sort of it just looked like he was I ain't gonna say he was completely winded, but you know, you could just tell he would the adrenaline was like catching up to him. Round four, I also gave to Canelo. Um, Canelo throwing shots without much coming back in return. Billy Joe Saunders not sitting down on his punches and are mostly arm shots. And none of the shots he was really throwing was not affecting him. And to your point, he was not having enough volume to overcome that. So let's say he was throwing all them shots. He would definitely have to double 2.5 times shots to overcome Canelo throwing 10 big shots and then seven of them landing because them seven big shots that he that he landed were like pretty hellacious shots. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And, and you can see the uppercut was just. He was committed. He was committed to throwing the uppercut, which stopped Billy Joe Saunders to to think about it. Like, do I really want to keep doing this? Round five, I gave to Billy Joe Saunders. 
he started letting his jab go, which allowed him to land them big shots. So it was that round where he first really started landing the right hand. And he was just, he was like, you know, had his hands down, but he was, you know, fighting from more distance and then sort of like making Canelo follow him. And when Canelo followed him, he would jab, 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 and then, you know, catching Canelo at the end of the jab, but then he would throw the right hand. He would throw one, two sometimes. And then he finally landed more shots to slow Canelo's offense down, offense down. So he was hitting Canelo with so many more shots that Canelo didn't really have a chance to hit him with shots. So round five, Billy Joe Sanders. Round six, I called it a tie, even though I favored Canelo. So both were landing good shots. Canelo's were harder. Billy Joe Saunders landed a few clean shots. I'm leaning toward Canelo with the hard shots. Like, Billy Joe Saunders threw shots, but it just – if you throw in a similar number of shots and the other guy throwing harder shots, mm-hmm. you're probably going to give it to the guy throwing harder shots. But I call it a tie, you know. Um, round seven, I gave it to Billy Joe Saunders. He's um, – I'm giving it to Billy Joe Saunders off, the, off him throwing more shots and landing more shots, but none were really heavy. Okay, none, 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 nothing really heavy landed from Canelo, but it was still a close round, but Billy Joe Saunders just threw more, and Canelo didn't re- really land any, you know, hellacious shots. Round eight, obviously Canelo landed the big right hand. Okay, so a bit of um, – so Tyson Fury does this exact same thing where he punches – you remember I used to harp on this, or I hopped on that to say that if they fight again, Deontay Wilder has to do the feint, make Tyson Fury dunk down to his right, and then punch him right what he did in that in that uh, first fight where he actually got them two knockdowns or whatever knockdowns he had. Uh, instead of punching and punching over Tyson Fury's back, he has to feint him, make Tyson Fury make that move, you know, jab then feint maybe. Make Tyson Fury make that move, and then when he make that move, you catch him in that spot that he keep going to. Billy Joe Saunders has the same little, um, what we call it, same. Is that a deficiency? What what would you call it? Is is well, it's a habit. habit. It's supposed to be like a, I guess, a defensive maneuver, but it's more like a habit. Yeah, so he has the same habit where he bends down to the right, and so maybe in the in round two, in the first four rounds. Canelo was throwing the right hand, but it would go over Billy Joe Saunders because he would dip down, you know, to the left or to the right, whichever way he was dipping down to. And so it would literally go over uh, Canelo's back or whatever. And so you could see Canelo looking at that. And so literally what happened, Canelo, um, you know, he, he threw whatever, and then Billy Joe Saunders tried to dodge it. And so when he tried to dodge it, Canelo threw an uppercut at the spot where he thought where Billy Joe Saunders continued to go to. And he landed the, you know, the big uppercut. It looked like um, you know, like a, a street fighter, how you can type thing. Somebody showed me a Marge Simpson. Yeah, you know, that was that was that was a boy, that was a boy, Matt, with the Mar with the Marge Master special. Okay, the Marge Master Special. But, um, you know, Kalino landed the big right hand. Um, you know, the, the thing that I will give Billy Joe Saunders credit for is because, you know, we, we could tell that it could have definitely been an orbital bone. And quite naturally, we've seen people, how they react to that, to that type of injury. And it's not, you know, like that ain't something to like sneeze at. But after, you know, after he threw the big shot, 
Billy Joe Saunders kept going, and he, um, you know, even though Canelo threw a lot of pressure, it wasn't a lot landing on him. Like, a lot of those shots missed him. So yeah. he threw a bunch of shots, and he had a lot of pressure, but it wasn't really nothing to land clean after that first shot, after that first big uppercut. Like, it may have been one shot, but it wasn't, like, enough to stop him in the ring. He looked across the ring, and you know Canelo did exactly what he was supposed to do because in this in this moment, Canelo, whether he whether he was just feeling it or whatever he was doing, that was the the best psychological thing he could have done at that point because Billy Joe Saunders is is questioning himself, man, what's wrong with my eye? Why my eye feel this way? Canelo like standing up, Canelo waving in the crowd, Canelo like I, I I'm ready, I'm I am so ready. I don't want to sit down. I want to keep going, and you know. If you down and you questioning yourself and then the man across from you is like, like, let's go, keep going, crowd, come on. And then, you know, he holding up his arms like like he he man or something in, in the middle of the round. Literally, what what's your option? Like you you really that'll really make somebody question themselves. Like, I get it, you could call him a quitter or whatever, but psychologically, that's the best thing Canelo could have done because that battle, even though it was physical. Was also won psychologically by. I mean, he won physically, obviously, but the mm-hmm. psychological better was that you see the man over there, like hot on fire. He like you know NBA Jam with the fire and stuff. Like, you, do you really want to fight that? You know that you ain't got much left. So he was like, man, I you know I, I know my, and you know kind of is what it is. And so one thing that I will say. I do respect Canelo for showing a lot of pride to his country. I know he's more comfortable with Spanish, but I think part of him in his prideful way is to say, I'm going to answer these questions in Spanish because these are the people that I want to show that I'm still here for them because they have always been here for me. The one thing that I envy in that is because he is praised for this. But when we have a black man, let's say Deontay Wilder, who caters to his people and speaks up to his people, everybody, a lot of people clown him and and, and turn their back on him. If Deontay Wilder did that exact same thing, speaking to his people, which he did do it, that ring interest that he did when he fought Tyson Fury, I, I felt something from it. I felt really empowered from that ring interest. But you got people like he too cocky. He this, he that. I mean, I'm gonna keep my keep that coming to myself. But um <laughs> too bad, man. We can't we can't support our black fighter like like how his country support him. And I know it's culturally, I know this is a systematic thing that makes us not support him, but that shit kind of pissed me off, dog. That we that we can't support a a fighter like that who has pride in his his people. Why can't why can't a man who have pride in our people, Deontay Wilder, get support from us like that? That shit pissed me off. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it, it don't piss me off because I respect Canelo, and he's a top pound for pound fight. He got to fight some. He, I'll I'll let you say whatever you got to say. I'm, I'm, I mean, we'll we'll get on thing there for Canelo, but um, in reference to the thing for Wilder, I mean that it, it's more of like a I don't. I don't I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a cultural thing because like there are some fighters that have fans or more fans than Deontay Wilder has in 
you know, they're black too. Like, you know, for example, with Terrence Crawford, you have a lot of Terrence Crawford fans, you know, but the thing about, you know, with Terrence Crawford is, is that I think people kind of like gravitate towards Terrence Crawford because of his overall skill level or whatever it is. But you really don't, you really don't see Terrence Crawford like speaking on certain issues on, on a few things like that, especially recently what's been going on over the past year and a half. Um, with Deontay Wilder, it's like, and I've, and I've gone through it, you know, multiple times through with Wilder is that from my perspective is that the way that they have marketed him from when he just won the WBC title up until like 2017, 2018 was almost like a 180, you know, because when he got into the sport, he got into a sport with a story that people could get behind, and they didn't. And I don't know why they didn't keep on that, but it just, you know, changed up and switched up on folks. Um, and the way that he kind of like carried himself after 2017 turned a good number of people off, you know. But going back to this thing here, how was that? Hello, How did he carry himself? Just curious question. Okay, so. Initially, when he started his professional career, of course, he had this thing where, you know, he had a brief amateur career after leaving high school, got into the Olympics, won the, won the bronze medal after winning the bronze medal. Months after winning the bronze medal, he started his professional career, uh, got a string of victories. Um, he had a story, you know, in reference to him, you know, trying to, you know, get enough money for his daughter in order to raise his daughter and, you know, take care of his daughter and the, um, you know, medical problems that his daughter had. It went through and it continued on past 2015 after he won the WBC title, actually through 2016. Um, and that, you know, people were starting to gravitate towards him more. Um, but even with that, you really didn't see enough support for him at that particular time. Because think about it. Once he beat Bermain Stavern to become a world champion, that was the first American heavyweight champion in a while. You know what? Since Hasim Rotman. And you mean to tell me that they couldn't really put, you know, all of their eggs in a basket with Deontay Wilder and kind of back him, you know? Uh, so... You go through that for that first year. You go to the second year, 2016, and he had this whole thing there with um, Pavekin and whatnot. Then he had his fight against Areola, ended up getting, you know, injured in that particular case. So he couldn't fight for the rest of that year. So my thing is, like, you can't, you have somebody that's an American-born heavyweight champion and you're not you're not sending them out there. You're not putting his face out to, you know, different media outlets and things like that, you know. Um, and it took and it took until after what happened in 2017 in order for his overall interest to go up. So um, going from that point until, you know, the present day, you know, we kind of like we see what what, what has uh, gone on with uh, Deontay Wilder from from that particular aspect. But going on your uh, commentary for this uh, fight between Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders, uh, looks like you you 
kind of gave Billy Joe Saunders just two rounds uh, of those eight, which was like round six, round seven. And a tie. Oh, and a tie. Oh, okay, so then – so two rounds and a tie. All right. I think so, yeah. All right, so that would be, you know, uh, <laughs> shoot. That's like five – yeah, five rounds to two and one tie. You know, one 10-10 round. Uh, therefore, Canelo Alvarez, which – Kind of like goes along the lines of what you know the scorecards were. Uh, I think it was two two scores of uh, 78, 74, and one score of seventy seven, seventy five. But before I continue, I'm gonna add someone else on here. That it's been a good little while since he's been on the podcast, and I am surprised that he's on here, but. Very, very glad that he is on here. Introducing Mr. Give Me My Credit. World rank. Is it world ranked in the building? It's Mr. Give Me My Credit. Mr. Who You Pit. Mr. Boxing is a business. What's going on? Oh, man. What is happening, my man? What's happening? What's happening, man? Just chilling, man. This is a good opportunity to get on. I was able to catch it. You know what I'm saying? Um, scrolling Twitter. You know, I know it's every Sundays. Sometimes I uh, got other things going on. I'm just happy to be on now. What's going on? Oh, man, just chilling and, and, and getting it in, man. I'm about to, you know, we about to dissect what happened last night. You know, have the summary of what went down between Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, had Mr. Mike with his round-by-round analysis. Uh, you know, he gave um, Canelo five rounds of the eight. Uh, he scored two rounds to Billy Joe Saunders, and one round was even uh, there before, you know, we saw Canelo basically crush the orbital bone of uh, Billy Joe Saunders <laughs> before the uh, start of the ninth round, um, which kind of like irked me a little bit because I was calling it for about a week, week and a half that eventually Canelo would break down Billy Joe Saunders and end up getting a stoppage in the ninth round. I said Canelo TKO nine, but Mark Tibbs just said, uh, he, well, he said after the fight that he didn't like what Billy Joe Saunders was saying uh, there after the end of the eighth round, so he didn't send him out there for the ninth. So that's why on the record it's a eighth round TKO victory for Canelo Alvarez uh, there. Um, so. World rank, what was your thoughts on that particular fight and the performances of both of those fighters? So because I'm Mr. Give Me My Credit, anytime I get credit or give credit, I want to give you credit because even though it was at the end of the eighth round, you got it spot on. So I got to give you credit for making that prediction because you was right on. Uh, about the fight, I mean – Saunders was getting into the fight, you know, sixth, seventh round. He was getting into the fight. I had it scored uh, 5-3. So I can understand the aspect of Canelo up. I cannot understand anybody who believes Saunders was up. Uh, he's feel like, It seemed like he was getting this groove, but um, Canelo was always landing the harder shots. He was always being composed. Um so he, it's, it, it, even though Saunders was getting to the fight, at no point did I think that Saunders was winning the fight. He was just being competitive. 
Bert. So you said so you're saying that like Saunders was like, you know, competitive at times, you know, during the during uh points, different points of the fight, right? Yeah, yeah. So um J Rock on Twitter, he was like, uh J Rock Woodens, uh former 154 champ was like, you know, Saunders was doing some good things in there, but Canelo was just buying time. He was never bothered by what Saunders did. And um I think he was right on. He was spot on. Canelo uh was basically in control of the fight the whole time, even though Saunders was again doing some good things. Canelo was in control. And you know, when he landed, I forgot what shot that was. Uh, but when he landed that, you can visibly see Saunders' body language and everything change. He, from that point forward, he was done. He, there was nothing else he can do. He knew that he was done for, and he was just on his bike for the rest of the round. And uh, pretty much that was it. Yeah, and you know, I kind of like thought that going into the fight, you seen Billy Joe Saunders with a little bit uh, level of confidence, or you know. I think the uh, commentators were saying like he had like a little bit of swagger and things like that, but that's just Billy Joe Saunders being Billy Joe Saunders. He kind of like has that well swag, or sometimes people would say a smug attitude, you know, given the things that he's done in the past. But you know, once he's once he's been in there one round or two with Canelo Alvarez, and you kind of like see the power uh, that Canelo Alvarez has then it makes your whole game plan, you know, <laughs> be uh, kind of like thrown off a little bit. You know, everybody uh, got a plan to get hit in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's what Mike Tyson said. Listen, 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 everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. Right. But um, with, uh, you know, Saunders, it was like you, you, you say that going into the fight that, oh, uh, we have a, a 20 foot ring. We need to be a 22 foot ring or a 24 foot ring. And Canelo's like, eh, no problem, man. No problem. It could be 22. It could be 24. Doesn't matter. You know, I I have enough ability and enough skill to be able to get to you and to break you down and everything like that. And, you know, my thing with Billy Joe Saunders is, is that, you know, some people kind of like point to his performance against David Lemieux and say that, okay, he has the foot movement and, and he has that type of skill to, you know, not be at the same place. But that's against guys that aren't necessarily at that elite level. Canelo is an elite fighter. And it doesn't matter, you know, what type of, um, you know, skill you might have. If you don't have the overall package that comes close to where Canelo does, then he's going to eventually get to you and he's going to break you down. And you saw that from early that no matter how large the ring was, Canelo was able to get to Billy Joe Saunders, get Saunders to the ropes and be able to send a message, be like, look, actually, he kind of like did the same thing with Saunders early that he did with Callum Smith is like either he'll land to the body with his shots down there or if if Saunders was blocking it, his arm was going to feel how hard those shots were going to be. And I, and I think that, you know, some people don't like point that out is that, you know, you could have some type of weapon or whatever it is, whether it's your left hand or anything like that, like with Saunders, you know, he's the southpaw. So Canelo is just going to say, Hey, 
I'm just going to come after you and I'm going to throw hard body shots. And either your body is going to take that shot or your arm is. And I'm going to make it to where you're not going to use that left, you know, that left hand. And for a good amount of time, you didn't really see Billy Joe Saunders throw that left hand until like the fourth or fifth round. Because every time, you know, Canelo was throwing those shots, whether it landed or not, Saunders felt that power. To be fair, though, there was a left to the body left. I don't know if that's a hook or I don't remember exactly what the punch was that Saunders landed. And it was a beautiful two-piece combination. And it had literally no effect on Canelo. And like you said, Mm -hmm. Canelo, his mentality now going forward is, yes, you guys can probably be more fleet of foot than I am. But over 12 rounds, you're you're just not going to be built enough to be able to withstand me coming hard towards you. And like you said, landing body punches for 12 rounds. And recently, there hasn't been many people who've been able to uh, not only survive, but put a constant offensive, um, I guess, offensive display towards him. So mm-hmm. you can get the Amir Khans for three rounds, or you can get Saunders and Spots landing good punches, but over a long period of time, the truth stands out. And Canelo seems to always be able to wilt these opponents down, either by force or by skill. Well, shout out to Canelo for understanding a basic framework, like game plan framework, and how like you basically all of your rest of your offense on. So, okay, I can say sort of jab, but he bases it off, you know, a semi-jab, but then the body shot. And and that is something that he takes a very consistent approach in early rounds. And then he got away from it when Saunders started, like, letting his shots go. But shout out to him for at least having that, like, framework and, and sticking to that. And, and that is successful. You look at Andre Ward. You look at anybody who who starts with the body, and then how they typically fare in these fights. Shout out to Canelo for that and team. Yeah, I mean the thing with um, Canelo and his and his uh, guys there, his trainer Eddie Reynoso should have the chief second there. Uh, you know, uh, Chipper Reynoso for just sticking with it, sticking with his game plan. And that, you know, not just going off that plan. And to go off what, uh, you know, World Rank was saying with Billy Joe Saunders, like he did catch Canelo with a with a left with a left hand. I think it was either a right-left combination or it was like a double left, like one to the body and then one upstairs that Canelo just took. And he just walked right through it. Um, and going to what I was saying at the beginning there, man, um, if you don't have, you know, the, the power or enough power or the activity to have Canelo respect you, then he's just going to continue to walk forward and walk through you and then eventually just break you down. And that's what we, you know, saw here in this uh, fight, you know, with Billy Joe Saunders, even though, you know, he uh, Canelo had his, you know, little time over a couple of rounds where he wasn't as active uh, with his offense, he just didn't, I guess he just didn't feel like there was something that Billy Joe Saunders could do 
that would really have him in real trouble. And so that's why he kind of, you know, took his foot off the gas a little bit uh, in those sixth and seventh rounds. And then in the eighth round, he was just, you know, calm, calculated, and concise uh, with his, you know, attack pattern. And when he, you know, cast in with that uh, right uppercut, that was it. And you, you saw like he was really, you know, uh, boosted up because, you know, before the fight, him and, and uh, Eddie Reynoso was saying, look, it's going to take seven, eight or nine rounds, but we're going to go ahead and get that stoppage victory over Billy Joe Saunders within round seven through nine. And that, you know, that plan came to fruition. Uh, therefore, Canelo Alvarez. And, you know, it was a, you know, pretty good performance by him. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, Billy Joe Saunders, you know, kind of, I think he underwhelmed in a sense because, you know, going into the fight, you know, it was supposed to be, okay, this is the biggest fight of your career, uh, you know, in, in higher profile fights that you've had against the likes of an Andy Lee or a Chris Eubank Jr. or a David Lemieux, you were able to, you know, do more than people expected you to do but going into the fight like people kind of like saw you be like going up against the guys like a chef out of a sufi or or a charles adamu or or arthur akovov or something like that and if you don't have that type of level of competition going into a fight against Canelo Alvarez, you're not going to, you know, be there where you have their overall um, skill set or their overall drive to kind of like take it to another level like Canelo does. And I saw that uh, early on is that you you seen that Billy Joe Saunders just didn't have it in him to take it to another level. Like you got to be like balls to the wall or something like that. Uh, to in order to do something against Canelo Alvarez. And I didn't see anything where he kind of like, you know, said, let me go ahead and, and take a risk. Because if your original plan ain't working, then you got to do something else. And that's something else usually takes risk. But if you want to win a fight, that's something that you might have to do. And I didn't see that there with uh, Billy Joe Saunders. I think sometimes uh, guys are okay with um, with being competitive and not really going beyond what they are known for. So Saunders is known as a decent boxer and he's not likely to put himself more at risk for the sake of really winning the fight. Now, and like you said, you have to do that for the most part in beating some of the top opposition. And for me, this is, a, again, another prime example of Canelo being an elite fighter facing a world-class fighter where they don't have the next level to be able to, even if it's power, even if it, it's the gas tank, it's the chin, it's always something that would hold these fighters from being elite where mm -hmm. someone like Canelo has the whole package. He has the chin. He has the stamina. Um he has the power. He has the offensive display. He can even uh, has pretty good defense, very improved defense, actually. So right. when, you when you have all these aspects and when you get to an elite level, what you do great sometimes isn't good enough. You have to have, like you said, a second gear or something else up the sleeve. And a lot of times these guys 
I'm going to stay with what brought me to the dance. And sometimes these guys have to live with that. And I think Billy Joe is one of those fighters where he's a good boxer, but he needed a little more to be able to be competitive with Canelo. So to that point, even though I, I don't feel this is the same as Terrence Crawford's um, uh, unification und undisputed run at 140, will this sort of be looked at it like that to where he never faced competition that truly had a chance to um, to compete with him? And I mean, he, he he's going to win the accolade, right? So you got to give him that. But will that be sort of an asterisk on it? Because it's like you were never in a 50-50 fight or a 40-60 or anything like that, you know? I mean, according, I mean, according to most people, the, the Kovalev fight to a lot of people was a 50-50 fight. I truly didn't believe that. And I even said it on this show. But there are people who believe, a lot of people actually, who what? believe... Kovalev was a legitimate challenge to him. What people? Casual fans? No, nah, there was there was a, a lot of of course I can't pinpoint per se, you know, certain people, but there were a lot of people that believed uh Canelo was gonna I mean Kovalev was gonna be competitive because of the weight difference or because of the power um in that fight. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of people who thought that fight was gonna be a walkover. I got you. Now, um, going off that Kovalev fight, for how that Kovalev fight went through, there was like some times when Kovalev looked like he had the upper hand over Canelo with how he was kind of fairly consistent with his jab. But like I said here with Billy Joe Saunders, you didn't see a second gear within Kovalev that made Canelo be much in trouble so that when Canelo answered Kovalev with his offense, you didn't see something coming back from Kovalev. And that, that's how you ended up having Kovalev being taken out. Another, another example to me was when Canelo fought Daniel Jacobs. Like within the first four rounds or so, from a technical standpoint, it was a pretty good battle, but by the time you got to the second half of the fight, you saw Canelo take it up a different level and that his stamina and his skill level were enough to get him through that fight where Daniel Jacobs just didn't have enough offense and enough you know, energy within him to just say, let me take this up a notch. It wasn't like how he fought Gennady Golovkin. He took it up a notch against Gennady Golovkin because he had the energy, he had the um, momentum within him to say, hey, yeah, I could hang with Gennady Golovkin, but hey, I could also show that I could beat Gennady Golovkin. Against Canelo, you didn't see that. You know? The big shots coming at him made him re rethink that. Yeah. Canelo make everybody rethink throwing shots at him. Everybody not named Mayweather. Well, Mayweather counted, but um, uh, and avoided. But you know, you get what I'm saying. Now, I have a question about the Mayweather and Canelo, I guess, fight because I'm starting to think that 
as as we start to get further and further from that fight, Floyd is getting going to get less and less credit. Like you still, you already hear the people that say, you know, Canelo wasn't in his prime. To me, I also would would say he was closer to his prime to, than Floyd was. Right. Um, but there's a lot of people who say he fought Canelo before. <laughs> um, and I'm starting to think like you know I'm seeing people say, hey, Canelo. Uh, is the best fighter this generation. I don't know how far, you know, in terms of generation, if you're talking current generation under 30, no doubt. Uh, but when you talk about generation, I don't know how far that goes back. But I'm starting to think people starting to take Canelo, and he is a great fighter. No, no doubt about it, a great fighter. But it seems like people are starting to not excuse the Floyd fight, but it's like it's just not the same – Career, I, I don't know what's the best way to put it, but it seemed like people are getting further, further away from from getting giving credit to Floyd for beating Canelo. I mean, the thing is, that's a different that's a different time. He he get a pass because if you are going to do that, the time to do it the same way when um, what's the boy who beat uh, Matrix? Who getting his money in six million dollars? Um, oh, um, your boy Teofimo. Teofimo. If Teofimo had lost, it would have been okay because <clears throat> he still could have had a, a sort of second career. I mean, Canelo has had one career, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's it's not a big deal because what have you done for me lately? That's why. That's exactly why. What have you done for me lately? That's why it doesn't matter. That's why nobody cares about. I mean, we care about what Manny Pacquiao did, but, you know, what have you done for me lately? Uh, Terrence Crawford, we care about what he did at 140, even though he fought lesser competition, but what have you done for me lately? What What are you doing now? Like, yeah, you can't sit on those, those laurels. Um, Andre Ward, when he was in the game, yeah, you won the Super 6, and you are the man, but what What have you done for me lately? And, and he, he showed and he left when he was supposed to leave after he showed what he was supposed to do with Kovalev when he was supposedly the boogeyman. What did he do to me? Yeah, and you know, the thing with what World Rank said um, in reference to the, the thing with Canelo and, and Floyd, right? And people talk about Canelo being a, a too green or whatever it is. But we go back to that time period, 2013 was a September 2013, right? Floyd Mayweather came into that bout undefeated with a record of 44 wins and no losses. Canelo Alvarez came into that bout undefeated with a record of 42 wins, zero losses, and one draw. He was a professional at 15 years old. And went through his bouts over in Mexico for a long time. But when he got in there and he stepped up in competition, he stepped up to the plate. And his previous bouts before going up against Floyd Mayweather was against Ryan Rhodes, Alfonso Gomez, Kermit Centrone, Shane Mosley, Jose Cito Lopez, and Austin Trout. Now, given those last four fights, the amount of experience that those four fighters have 
in between them should have just showed like, hey, if he didn't have that many issues with many of those guys, even though we had the whole thing about the Austin Trout fight, but he was able to get through those fights and win those fights. So if he wasn't ready for someone like Floyd Mayweather at that particular point, when was he ever going to be ready for Floyd Mayweather? Especially if Floyd Mayweather wasn't in his prime at, at that particular point. And he wasn't. He wasn't in his prime. He wasn't at his optimal uh, optimal uh, weight class. You know, he wasn't at no 147 or 140. No, he went up to the 154 to fight somebody in Canelo Alvarez that was around that 154-pound weight class and did what he did. And people just want to go ahead and say, oh, but uh, you had Canelo Alvarez there, and he was 23 years old. But, yeah, but he was a professional for eight years. So <laughs> what else could anyone else say at that point? That's crazy because when you look back at Floyd's career, you never hear that excuse when people talk about Castillo. Like it and that's a fight that he officially won. You never hear people say, Oh, well, Floyd was this or Floyd was that. Because they it, it seemed like so many people want a loss in his record. Oh, they mm -hmm. always bring up the Castillo fight. But it seemed like we want to erase, and when I say we you just saying in a general sense, we want to erase Canelo's loss to Floyd. And this wasn't like a close fight. Floyd whitewashed him. And I'm not saying we should we should always bring it up that Canelo lost to Floyd because it was a time ago. But we still have to acknowledge that greatness is greatness. And we can't just try to – it's the same thing that goes back. And I'm, I'm not a fan of any fighter per se, but it goes back to the, the kind of the Lomachenko thing where ESPN tried to take that that uh loss off his record like and both of them <laughs> yeah you can't you can't be trying to deceive people um by switching up things and trying to go with the narrative and I, again i'm not trying to say canelo's not an all-time great fighter because he is he's done things even things that floyd hasn't done but to just try to erase like that didn't happen i'm i'm, I'm not a fan of that right you know People just want to have some type of revisionist history when it comes to what happened in September 2013. And, and that just can't, you know, that just can't happen. But it just it shows like how many people, you know, are against a certain fighter having the legacy that that he has. And it's not just, you know, the whole thing with the Castillo fight, but it still goes on since, you know, May 2015. On what happened with, you know, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Like, people still haven't been able to let that go. Um, so, you know, that's the thing with, with the whole thing about Mayweather. But, you know, going to Canelo, and like you said, with the overall accolades that Canelo has had, you know, over the past, you know, few years being a middleweight champion. Uh, he was a unified middleweight champion. Now he's a unified super middleweight champion. He's been the WBO light heavyweight champion and now he's you know one step closer to saying that he could be the undisputed super middleweight champion and that is you know kind of like the fight that he's planning on uh having next is against the IBF champion Caleb Plant 
And, um, you know, Caleb Plant looks like he's, you know, there chilling. He got, you know, his wife there, Jordan Plant and all of that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to, you know, him in a little bit. I, I got to go into, of course, what was happening after the fight between Canelo Alvarez and, and Billy Joe Saunders. You have the press conference there in AT&T Stadium. Man, Canelo is answering questions here and all that. And you have the WBO middleweight champion, Demetrius Andrade. And he's like, hey, you know, great performance. I'm a fan of yours and, you know, everything like that. Uh, you know, my question to you is, uh, you know, when, when are we going to fight? You know, when are we going to get it on? And Canelo, you know, says, man, you ain't fought nobody. And, and then they go back and forth. And, of course, you know, everybody's jumping on the whole thing with Canelo saying, get the fuck out of here, man. Get the fuck out of here. Like, who you fuck? Get the fuck out of here. And my thing was, after the whole back and forth went on, and we seen that Demetrius Andrade was trending on Twitter, right? Now, a lot of people want to get on Demetrius Andrade and have the same so-called, quote-unquote, um, thoughts that Canelo had that Demetrius Andrade hasn't fought anybody. Well, here's my thing. Rocky Fielding, Callum Smith to a level, Billy Joe Saunders to a level. Um, Yeah. Um, Abney Yildirim. Okay. Who, what, what is their resume? Particularly with Adney Yildirim, because I know that you know a couple of y'all are you know familiar with how Adney Yildirim became the opponent for Canelo Alvarez. And the thing is, Adney Yildirim did not have one eliminator bout to become the WBC mandatory contender. His last fight was a technical decision loss, if I'm not mistaken, to Anthony Durrell. And he hadn't had a fight since. So how is it that you become a mandatory without no eliminator bout, no final eliminator bout? And it was circumstantial because of David Benavidez showing up overweight for his fight that he had so he couldn't defend that WBC belt. So when Canelo fought Callum Smith, it ended up being for the WBC title along with the WBA, but you can't, as Canelo, you can't tell someone in Demetrius Andrade that should have had his fight against Billy Joe Saunders for the WBO middleweight title, but Saunders, you know, had his nasal spray issue and tell Demetrius Andrade that he hasn't fought anybody, you know, that, and, and now you see like people, trying to jump on Andre's case. Of course, you had the Charlo brothers try to jump on his case or whatever it is. And I'm like, well, all of these other guys that Canelo has fought recently don't really have that much of a resume themselves. So how are you going to complain about Andre when you don't complain about these other guys? Has Andre fought anybody, JR? Who? 
Has he fought anybody? Andre? Yeah. Well, I know, I know, I know you're kind of joking with it, but you know, I'm sorry, Jay. I'm an asshole. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I mean, you kind of get you kind of get where the whole thing is. But I wanted to point out something though with Canelo and Andre, right? Now we go back to 2019, right? 2019, Canelo Alvarez fought. Daniel Jacobs, and it was at middleweight, and he had the WBC and WBA titles at that particular point. Daniel Jacobs had the IBF title. He gets the win over Daniel Jacobs to have three of the four major titles at middleweight. He could have had the opportunity to become the undisputed champion at 160 pounds, but yet didn't happen. Now, y'all know me, and y'all know the, the fighter that I dislike the most in boxing who claimed for a while that he was trying to go after all the belts, and he never did. But in this case, Canelo had his chance to go after all the belts at 160 pounds, and he didn't do it. So how are you going to go after Demetrius Andrade now when you had a shot to fight Demetrius Andrade in 2019 and you didn't do it? You see? So that was my initial gripe about what Canelo said. Now, you talking my language. So, and, it, and I posted this on Twitter. Like, I don't get how these people, like Andre, okay, let's take it he didn't fight anybody, which he didn't. Which is a valid point, but if you're gonna sit here and you're gonna fight Yildrum and you're gonna fight Fielding, these guys are not the level of Andre as a fighter. Don't even have Andre has no resume. Yildrum has less of a resume. Fielding, he's a UK level fighter. So if you're giving these guys opportunity and nobody's really crying about that, they'll say, "Oh well, Canelo's taking the tune up. It's okay." But why are we trying to draw the line with Andre? Why is Andre the line? Why is it not Yildrum? Why is it nobody, nobody speaking out to say, oh, we don't want to see the Yildrum fight. You know, we got no interest in it because of whatever reason. Yes, Andre could be boring. He could be considered a boring fighter. But I, I think I even said it on this show. How is, what's the difference between Andre and Plant other than the belts in the style matchup aspect of it? To me, there is no difference. Plant style is equally as born or could be as born as Andre's style. I don't see a difference in the styles. Now, if you want to take the approach of, oh, we want all the belts, unification, then okay. But don't draw the line with Andre when you fight other guys who are less of a level than him and then say he didn't fight anybody. You didn't tell Yildrum that. You didn't tell Fielding that. So why do you want to draw the line with Andre? That's my issue. Now, here's the bonus thing, too, right? While while Canelo was going through that back and forth with um, with uh, Golden Boy, and he was able to work out that deal to get away from Golden Boy and still have his own contract, right? You mean to tell me that he couldn't have a little, even if he needed a little bit more time and he didn't have to fight on December in Madison Square Garden? You could have given him more time to go 
from where he was at 175 back down to 160 and still have that fight with Demetrius Andrade for those belts because he still was regarded as the world champion with the WBC, the WBA, and the IBF at that particular time so that he could go ahead. Well, actually, not the IBF because of the whole thing with Derevianchenko. So let me take that back. But he could have still fought Andrade and said, you know what? He is the clear-cut number one, without a doubt, best dude in middle at middleweight, you know, and could have just went ahead and given Demetrius Andrade that one loss and, and been done with him. But that didn't happen. He went ahead and he said, you know what? I'm going to just go with 168 and I'm going to just have my plan to stay at 168 pounds, you know? So, you know, that was my thing. Well, actually, let me actually let me take that back because the fielding fight was actually before the whole thing with Jacobs and Kovalev. So his first fight after Kovalev was the thing with Callum Smith. So he could have had his shot to go back to middleweight after the Kovalev fight, but he chose not to do that. You know? And I'm pretty sure if Andre, if if Canelo said, meet me at 168, I don't think Andre would have a problem meeting him at 168. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I mean, he... Like the and, and we, we know we know how the things are with fighters. They they get to a certain weight uh when they're not active and then once they go into camp or once they get close to you know getting ready for a fight, that's when they cut their weight down in order to get to whatever they need to get to. So with someone like a Demetrius Andrade, he's probably around that one sixty eight range uh when he's not active. Uh we know like fighters like the Charlo brothers are more of like 180, 185, 187 or something before they get down to 160 or 154. So, yeah, you could have had, you know, Canelo versus Andre at 168. You know, that could have happened, you know, outside of the whole thing with the Callum Smith. But at the same token, having Andre do that is kind of like telling me something where, and this kind of goes towards Eddie Hearn to a certain extent. Like, how are you not doing, you know, your job with someone like Demetrius Andrade? You know, um, I know that some people say, like, Andrade is, you know, okay with having these particular fights against, you know, the Arthur Akavovs or... Um, you know the the um Liam Liam Williams or or somebody like that, you know. But outside of that, how are you not working towards having him fighting Gennady Golovkin? If you can't get him to fight Canelo Alvarez, how come you're not getting him to fight Gennady Golovkin? There is no doubt in my mind. He's telling them. I think he's giving them the option of Andre, but I also think he's telling them like there's no money in that fight. Why would you? You know, I don't think he's straight out saying, why would you want to take that fight? But he's saying Andre's out there. I know he's presenting Andre. I can assure you that he's presenting Andre, but he's not presenting Andre in a matter that he would present another opponent. 
So he'll say Andre's out there, but you know, you got bigger fish to fry, or there's more money in this fight. So I think he's presenting Andre, but he's not presenting Andre as a as a person that he really wants to get that fight. Hey, that, I got that would be I got, I got so many other people that I gotta, you know, Andre just came new on the board to match room. I still, you know, I had to get Callum Smith ears. I had to get BJS ears. You know, I still gotta look out after Canelo to a certain degree because now I'm starting to, you know, kind of be in this clique trying to work with him. And so so he's presenting Andre and then he's going back and telling Andre, hey, these guys don't want to fight you. So, you know, what can I do if these guys hey, don't mate, listen, mate? He don't want to fight you, man. I'm like, look, I mean, look, I, I, I've tried to get the fights, but, you know, they just don't want to do it. But he, but he, my thing would be like this. You mean to tell me that someone that wasn't necessarily a full-time guy with Matchroom in Daniel Jacobs was able to get a co-promotional deal to a certain extent with Matchroom Boxing? And still was able to get himself a fight with Canelo Alvarez. But you signed with Matchroom full time and you can't, you don't necessarily get him to fight. It's almost like, so I wouldn't say it's to this level, but it's kind of like the whole thing with Bud Crawford trying to get his fights over there at 147. But it's kind of different with Demetrius Andre because, like I said, you you got guys that are there within 160 and 168 that are within your promotional banner, and you can't have Demetrius Andre fight any of those guys. That should that should say something. I I, I don't know that it does. I, I just think that Andre is the type of fighter that people perceive is not bringing nothing to the table and i think everybody knows that from the public perception from the promoter perspective and he's when he's with matchroom he's on the back of the bus and because jacobs i think jacobs was signed with matchroom before andre if i'm not mistaken yeah a little bit before yeah yeah and i think what hearn did with everybody even B, bjs jacobs everybody i think he promised them Canelo. I don't think he promised Andre Canelo. I, I think he told him, hey, this is a chance you might get Canelo, but I think he promised all these other guys that they were getting Canelo, and that's why I think he delivered for them as opposed to Andre. I don't think he he's ever promised them, promised them that you're getting Canelo. Which goes to their management team's ability to broker a deal. He just got a bad deal. They They got probably guarantees, like you said, to do that. He didn't ask for it, so there you go. Absolutely. I think he, even in his uh, deal with uh, who he was promoted with before that, uh, Jimmy Burchfield and them, they did, they never, Andre has never been promoted correctly enough. He's always been with like secondary guys, and now he gets with Matchroom and they just push him back. It's, hey, there's too many guys in front of you. You you know, you got to wait your turn, and he might not ever get his turn. He, whatever, for whatever reason, he's, he made wrong decisions in terms of who's backing him. And I think that may have cost him most of his career. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was definitely with like secondary guys, man. When you, you're, you're with, um, who is this dude? Art Palulo or, uh, you know, other guys like that, like that. Yeah. That doesn't quite work. You know, like he wasn't like fully with, you know, the bigger, uh, guys over the course of his career, not like the Golden Boys or, you know, anything with Tom Brown or Lou DeBella or anybody like that. 
you know, so you, you're kind of like with the more of the secondary or, or third tier guys when it comes to uh, promotions and stuff like that. So you're not putting that position to, you know, have the fights that, you know, could have been readily available to you. And going off of his uh, previous thing where uh, he could have had the fight lined up with Jamel Charlo uh, at 154 pounds and that kind of like fell apart. That, you know, that kind of like, I think that turned off a good number of people that were higher up in the boxing business. And it's kind of been, you know, tied to him ever since. But one of the things that I was unsure about when it comes to matchroom is if Billy Joe Saunders got on with matchroom before or after Demetrius Andre, because I was thinking that he got on after Demetrius Andre, but I'm not too sure about that. And Andre, I think, like you said, the Charlo fight was a big one, and also the cancellation of the Billy Joe fight, two instances where he's making a step up, and somehow both of those fights don't happen. And and I always wonder what his career and what Terrence Crawford's career would be if, let's say, they're with PBC. You know, I think they get the opportunities that they're missing now. It's not totally on them. I mean, they chose, you know, whatever is beneficial for them. But I always wonder what would be their, of their career if Andre or Crawford had signed with PBC. They would get more even competition than they're getting now. I agree. Yep, they would. And it would have been, even with, with the thing with Crawford, um, that would have been, even at 140 pounds, imagine imagine Terrence Crawford at 140 pounds over in the PBC. They would have, they would have you know, got something done for him uh, where it would have been a little bit more lucrative uh, at that particular case. But even, even at 147, like, he would have so many possibilities there, you know? I'm going to speak to a point you just made. If he was at PBC, the likelihood of him getting being undisputed at 140, and I ain't talking about Jose Ramirez in their era. I'm talking about Danny Garcia, uh, Tim Bradley at 140. The likelihood of him, he, he could probably beat Tim Bradley, but I mean, and uh, Danny Garcia, but you, you get what I'm saying. The likelihood of him being undefeated now is the chances go down a lot and undisputed. I mean, undisputed. Yeah, but we would know. We would truly know his level. Like, like not that we don't know his level. Like, he's a, a good fighter. But in terms of where he really stands in against other competition, other good competition, uh, I think he definitely would have been tested with one of those. You know, the Porters or you know Garcia. He would have got you know somebody very meaningful than what he's what he's got up until this point. Adrian Broner. Well, Rank, you can't tell the truth. We don't know his level. You told the truth. Adrian we don't know his top, his his level at the top. We know he's an A fighter, but where is that? Is he an A minus? A, A plus? Absolutely right. Uh, looks like um, oh, we have to see if um, you know, World Rate will be able to reconnect on there, but yeah, the, the point there with, with Terrence Crawford, I mean, you know, look at the possibilities of the fights that could have been made at 140 and 147 at, at, at that particular point. And, you know, if you if we, you know, look at Crawford, I mean, he's been 
you know, he's been there at, um, you know, welterweight for a good little bit, you know, ever since, you know, 2018. So he could have had those fights, you know, against the likes of uh, Danny Garcia or even even a Lamont Peterson. You know, he could have had those type of fights uh, there within 147 or 140. You know, not just the Danny Garcias, but the Lamont Petersons, the um, the um, the like who who else was out there? You know, I would say um, uh, maybe even like like I said, uh, uh, Adrian at one forty. Matisse at one forty. Yeah, Lucas Matisse, which is a different Matisse now. I mean. I mean, this would have happened to Matisse anyway if he'd have like stepped up. But I'm I'm just saying, like, it would at least been more um more like the aura of danger at 140. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's the thing about it is that we we don't necessarily know where Terrence Crawford would be at if he if he was able to have those type of fights and 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 I kind of like saw it with the uh case of um Tim Bradley too cuz remember Tim Bradley had the opportunity or the chance to sign with as far back as it was Golden Boy and if he was with Golden Boy he could have fought he could have fought like a guy like Amir Khan which was which was the fight that was being talked about at that point and Amir Khan or you know what Danny Garcia or anybody that was out there 140, but or 140, 147, but he chose to go ahead and sign with top rank at the time, which got him that Manny Pacquiao guarantee. And so you kind of like seeing, you know, what was going on at that particular instance. Um, World ranked is there back with us. I'm gonna see if I could get someone else uh, on here to talk can about I, a couple of topics. If can I say a comment on that one on Tim Bradley? Go ahead. Tim Bradley made the right choice for himself. If if you got the route to fight Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather, you choose one. And Tim Bradley did right by himself in his career. Switching over offered him a lot of uncertainty. Going and fighting Manny Pacquiao three times, that's the right choice in any answer, whoever you are. Mm -hmm. I can't fault him. I mean, yeah, he didn't fight Mayweather and then like that, but we know he would have lost, but I'm just saying it's the right choice. I agree. He had even with the Marquez fight, he had got they treated him kind of like an A side. And I'm not sure if he'd have went with somebody else, they'd have treated him the way that he did. Even in that bad decision he got against Pacquiao, he was still treated. You know, he mm -hmm. even had pay-per-views where he where he was the lead. And I didn't think Bradley was per se a good, you know, a ticket seller, but you know, he mm -hmm. was the head of some good pay-per-views. He had some good fights. Top rank actually did him well. Yeah. I kind of, like, felt that way um, with, with Tim Bradley. They were able to, you know, navigate and manage his career fairly well um, when he was out, when he was there and he signed with top rank. I mean, three fights with Manny Pacquiao. He had his fight with Juan Manuel Marquez. He had his fight with Ruslan Provodnikov, uh, among multiple others, where if he had made that decision to sign with Golden Boy or whatever it was at that particular point, it wouldn't have been a guarantee. He, Of course, it wasn't a guarantee that he would fight for Mayweather, but he would have he probably would have went through those guys like the Americans, the Marcos Maidanas, the, you know, Lamont Petersons, the Danny Garcias, 
And at that particular point of his career, would that have been a you know better decision for him? You know, uh, he beat Lamont Peterson. He beat Lamont Peterson. Well, he, oh yeah, he beat Lamont Peterson uh, before he, um, you know, got to the point where he was at one forty-seven. So, um, I actually think that Amir Khan fight was signed before he had moved over. Like that fight was scheduled to happen, mm. and then I think Amir Khan ended up facing Danny Garcia. I think. But I think that Bradley Conn fight was signed, and then Bradley moved over right then and there. Um, but Bradley's 140 run was really good, but he was not—he was not the star that he became at at welterweight. His 141 was damn good, you right? Know, the unification with Devin Alexander—he had some—he had some the Peterson fight. He had some good wins, but he wasn't a ticket seller. He wasn't some even the Junior Whitter fight with Kendall Holt. He had some pretty good fights. And but he was better than Terrence Crawford, huh? Much better than Terrence Crawford. Sorry for cutting you off. I didn't want to say that. Much better than Terrence Crawford. Yeah, much much better than Terrence Crawford. So he had a you know he had a pretty good run at 140, but he wasn't getting that that shine until he got with top rank. Uh, let's see. One, yeah, like you said, Junior Witter, uh, Edna Cherry, Kendall Holt, Nate Campbell, Lamont Peterson, Luis Carlos Abregu, Devin Alexander, Joel Casamayor, basically. Like, between him and um, Danny Garcia, maybe throw somebody else in there, but that's a pretty fucking good run, and Danny Garcia had a pretty good run, too. Yeah, both, yeah, both, of, them had a, a, both of them had damn good runs. Yep. they sh- Yeah, they sure did. You know, at 140, and the thing is, like on the flip, you you had the thing there with Terrence Crawford, and you you see the guys that he's fought. Yeah, he's had the you know the thing there where he fought Julius and Dongo. He fought, um, you know, Postal and um, who else? Uh, Felix was it Felix Diaz, whatnot? Um, and John Molina Jr. But <laughs> like after that, they really. Yeah. Adrian Broner beat John Molina Jr., which, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not going to say nothing else other than that. And you can even go further with even Josh Taylor. If he beats Ramirez, his run was, has been pretty damn good, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he has his win over Postal. He has his win over Regis Prograce. You know, he'd have his win over Ramirez. Like, yeah, some people would put uh, Josh Taylor up there as far as, like, his run. Um, and there are a few people like right now that feel like wherever they put Josh Taylor in the pound for pound, that they feel like they're selling them a little bit short, you know, because of the level of competition that he's faced there at 140 pounds. So, you know, that kind of like, you know, goes into it. Um, but, you know, back on the whole thing with the uh, Canelo joint, um, like him being like a pound for pound, you know, pound for pound number one. And some people like kind of like say he's pound for pound number one. And there is a serious gap between him and who else is, you know, next there in their list of pound for pound fighters or whatever it is. I know what world rank, you don't really necessarily do stuff for pound for pound. Uh, but uh, I want to get you know, something from Mike before, you know, I see if I can add someone else on that will kind of like go a little bit more in depth of the quote unquote greatness of El Campeon. 
which will give y'all a clue of who it is. You want me to talk about him being the pound for pound number one? Yeah. I mean, he is. Like, my definition of pound for pound is who have you fought? Who have they fought? How how do you look when you fight these guys? There's no way you can fight a guy who at one time we thought was something. And then he goes and we find out that barring an injury, barring something like world changing, mm -hmm. but we find out that he isn't who we thought he was. And you are, you base some accolade, some historical accolade off of some span of guys that are not as good as we thought they were. That's not that's not a a case for for pound for pound. Canelo has fought the who's who in boxing, even if he did fight him where he had an advantage outside of Floyd Mayweather. Even in his Floyd Mayweather loss, it adds to his pound for pound greatness because the man learned a lot in changing his style. You know, he adapted his style. He knew from that point on his way to win, whether you're good or not. I mean, this get me to this point. He he know that his his recipe for winning has to involve mm -hmm. going to the body, but it leads to the point. When is he gonna fight another guy that is 50, 50, 60, 40, 65, 45? Because that hadn't happened in a long time. And so, yes, he is pound for pound number one based off of his in ring current uh, accolades, based off his historical accolades, but. When you look at the Rocky Feldings, the tall dude who wasn't that good again, like he don't he don't get a kudos for that one because that dude wasn't that good either. Mm -hmm. Um, you, I go to that. What have you done for me lately again? Like you're pound for pound number one, but come on now, Canelo, you gotta some gotta shake here. You need to fight somebody else who who we at least think they can win. Like if he beats a Charlo or um. I, I don't put Andre in there. Andre ain't that good to me. Not no offense. Andre has probably less of a chance to win than than Caleb Plant, in my opinion. Um, Charlo, who who else could uh could challenge Canelo? Better be if is the only other one. Better be if yes, because at least there's the 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 uh, allure of heavy shots, and you're fighting somebody bigger than you. They could literally knock your head off. Like, outside of them two, I, I just can't give Canelo all these cool. I mean, I can give him kudos because he deserves it. But, like, what have you done for us lately? Like, even Billy Joe Saunders, he's good, but he's not a world beater. He, he you know, whatever world rank said. All right, so I got I to gotta jump in quickly before you get the next person on. So, all right. A lot of the points that you make definitely make sense, but what I would say is compare him to anyone else. If you compare him, when you say a 50-50 fight, okay, so let's go to Crawford. When was the last time he was in a 50-50 fight? When was it? Okay, you like, anyway, when was the last time he was in a 50-50 fight? Canelo has been in more competitive fights than those guys on, on I guess, what you thought of what the fight was prior to the fight happening. So... Yes, we can say that Canelo needs, you know, some of these guys are not as good, but he mixed in good guys as well. 
where's Crawford's mix in? Because it's the same level of guys. Where's Inouye's mix in? It's the same level of guys. Yes, Inouye beats some very good guys at smaller weights, but he's not facing the top of bantamweight right now. So these guys have been going with years without fighting elite guys. So if we're comparing them to, to Crawford or Inouye, it's not really no comparison because those guys aren't face, facing better competition either. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, 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 I personally don't think it's worth my time. Like, why am I wasting my breath to even mention him? Because I feel the same way you said, and I feel like things like that shouldn't have to be spoken. But, you know, that's why I didn't even mention that because it's like the only person I got to legitimately criticize is Canelo. If Andre Ward was still fighting, there would be some claim for a pound for pound. But other than that, I mean, okay, the Trollos now, either one of them, they they are coming. I mean, they're they're not on Canelo's level, but um, I think I, I think that they strong number two, number three, one of them. No, I don't know about the thing with the Charlos, man. I like I said, I think the only one that could have the percentages closer to 50-50 against Canelo Alvarez at this point is Arthur Betabiev. And I have a little setup how that fight would be kind of like promoted um sometime in 2022. But I wanted Ar to Errol Spence is, is my number two. I'm sorry, Errol Spence is my number two. I had to clarify that. I'm sorry. Hmm. I have to think about that one. All right. Here we go. Now coming up on the line is the number one Canelo fan in the planet, El Campeon. We know him as the president of the Deontay Wilder fan club, but he is the emperor of the Canelo Alvarez fan club from MVO, Mr. Matthew Brown. What's going on? Hola, amigos. Como estas, senor? Viva Mexico, cabrones! <laughs> Yo. I, I, I had to sit and listen to this fucking Mike Brady <laughs> guy hate in a Again, he he just he, he was like begrudgingly trying to give Canelo credit. He he can't do it. It's like it kills him to admit that Canelo is the Don Dada of boxing. Matthew like, Brown, you you only heard five minutes of the conversation. I you heard didn't enough hear the, of the conversation. I heard enough. <laughs> I heard enough. Listen, here's what we well. I, I got to take Canelo to task a little bit myself. I'm not going to lie. I did not like the energy that he had towards Demetrius Andrade. Um, yeah, we called him out on that. Oh, yeah. I'm the kind of guy that I, I want to see Canelo go on an ass-whipping tour. Oh, you talking shit, you can come get some, too. You talking shit, you come get some, too. I don't like the, oh, you're a Hannibal, Hannibal fighter. Who have you get fought? the fuck out of here, man. Get the fuck out of here. You're yeah, a horrible like, fighter. Who and it's fought? just so crazy to me that he's laughing and he he ha ha talking about who have you fought right next to Andrade's promoter? 
So if Canelo's asking who has he fought, he should be directing that question towards Eddie Hearn. And, and Eddie I, Hearn I should have given it. him an immediate answer because he recently fought Liam Williams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <laughs> you know what's funny? Eddie Hearn is the reason why Andrade hasn't fought anybody. Eddie Hearn kept Andrade from accepting the deal to fight Charlo on Showtime. He's the one that decided to say, hey, you reside with me, I'll pay you so-and-so to fight this guy. He He's the one that let Andrade fight the Luke Keelers of the world. So now when Canelo, your, your shiny new toy, is asking who has this guy fought, that is an indictment on you being able to deliver fights for Andrade as his promoter. Now, before you got on, uh, we had a fairly extensive conversation on that when it came to Demetrius Andre. And I gave, of course, two clear examples of where Eddie Hearn was able to deliver for a few fighters, but didn't deliver for Demetrius Andre. Recently, of course, Billy Joe Saunders. Before that, you had. Callum Smith. And before that, you had Daniel Jacobs. So if he was Don't able to Rocky deliver Fielding. for those three. That was also Eddie Hearn's fighter, Rocky Fielding. Oh, and oh, Erm, yes, Erm, you know, great. It's, this is a great fight, Erm. Rocky freaking Fielding, man. Rocky Fielding. You know, not Rocky Johnson. You know, not, you know, uh, I don't know, Rocky Boyman who played football or whatever it is. Rocky Fielding. So you mean to tell me that you could get fights for these guys against Canelo, but you can't get it for Demetrius Andrade? Now, Demetrius who, who has Canelo fought since he's been at the zone? Remind me. Oh, okay. Let's see. The uh, zone, Rocky Fielding was the first fight. Then it was Daniel Jacobs. Then you had. Sergey Kovalev, and then of course he had the whole thing where he was supposed to fight Billy Joe Saunders, but that got delayed. So it ended up being Callum Smith last year. Then you had Abney Yildirim, and now Billy Joe Saunders. So basically, out of the six fights he's had on the zone, four of them have been Eddie Hearn matchroom fighters. But none of them are Demetrius Andrade. <laughs> wow. Wow. Had you been that, here earlier, you would have heard crazy. us speak on something very similar to that. That That's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, I would go to one of the lines on a fairly famous song, Those, These Are the Breaks, but when it comes to Demetrius Andrade, man, it's it's a it's kind of like a half and half because Andrade, you know, he's been under the thing with um with Matchroom, and this is actually a worse situation between with Andrade and Eddie Hearn than when we had the whole talk about Devin Haney and Eddie Hearn. And how Devin Haney hasn't been able to get those fights, notable fights, while working with Matchroom. Well, here's the thing. Um, 
the Charlo fight was the fight. He shouldn't have turned it down. It wouldn't have been on the zone, but he would have gotten a big fight. So then when Canelo said, who have you fought? Hey, I fought Jamal Charlo. You know, uh, how would Andre look if he was unified at 160 WBC and WBO? Well, he, but here's the other thing, too. And I kind of like touched on this in, to a certain extent. Um, There was another period when Canelo could have fought Demetrius Andre. But it goes into the whole little thing where Canelo had that, you know, the interest of going up to 175 while he was still under Golden Boy. Um, you know, because they had the whole thing where he had most of the belts at middleweight, but he could have had one of the last belts and, and went for Undisputed, but they had the whole thing going down between um, Canelo and, and at the time, uh, Drevianchenko, who was the IBF mandatory. So with, with Canelo's team, Golden Boy there, Eric Gomez fucking up, that's how he got stripped of the IBF belt, but they could have went ahead and said, hey, let's present this Andrade fight to you. I didn't really see much of an interest then, you know, but, you know, outside of that, when it comes to Andrade and his side too, and you talk about the thing with Eddie Herm, and you talk about the Charlo fight, I ain't even, I don't even have to touch the Charlo fight. You're working under Matchroom, and there is another champion under Matchroom Boxing right now that's working with Eddie Hearn by the name of Gennady Gennadyevich Golovkin. And there has been no mention of them making a fight for Andre to go against Gennady Golovkin. What is up with that? Well, you know Golovkin don't want to fight nobody. Unless he's going to be like he he's only willing to to risk it against Canelo because of the amount of money he gets to fight Canelo. That's it. He's not going to fight nobody. This guy's talking about fighting um some Rayota? Brazilian guy, Escaval Falcao. Like Oh, that Fal Oh yeah, that's right. What what es Esteban what Emilio Estevez or what? Like, what? Come on, man. This dude uh... I'm sorry, man, but yo <laughs> We know Golovkin ain't fighting nobody, so I don't, I don't even know why you even mentioned him. You know, it's like my whole thing is this, right? If Eddie couldn't get or didn't want to pay or let Andre go to Showtime to fight Charlo, why didn't Eddie lean on his relationship with Keith Connolly and pay to have Andre fight the Revianchenko? Why'd you let Charlo be the one to fight the Revian Tango. Like I said, it's, it's one of these similar relationships that Eddie Hearn had with with Devin Haney. Like if if you if you're really serious about you know doing the work for some of these guys, you would put them in the position to have the best fights available uh, for them to you know have the most lucrative fights available and be there in the spotlight but with some of these guys it's just not happening and 
for some reason, these fighters are sticking with them, you know? So that's why with uh, Andre, it's kind of like a flip of the coin as far as like my opinion of the whole situation because there's some instances where he should have been able to go for some fights. And then there's other instances where if you try to push for a certain fight, that Eddie Hearn's blocking it. But with Andre, you also had the whole thing of what he said on another show in reference to him not fighting Charlo on Showtime and why he ended up passing on that deal. You know, so um World Rank, you you on there, you you had something? Yeah, so there's every promoter has guys that they they got and guys that they really fuck with or they really are looking out after. And Andre is one of those guys who uh, Hearn thought is an afterthought. Even though he's a world champion, this is not a prize guy to grab in Eddie Hearn's stable. This is just somebody else. And I'll give you a prime example of how it could work. We can go back to the Luis Ortiz situation when uh, Hearn signed Luis Ortiz. He had no real reason to sign Ortiz, and he didn't really use Ortiz other than to keep Ortiz away from Joshua. Or you can look at Rashidi Ellis. No, I disagree with that. Or we can look at Rashidi Ellis' situation with Golden Boy. There's no reason really why he's not getting fights, but he's not getting fights. So every promoter has certain guys that they have in their stable that's not a priority, and Andre just falls under that full matchroom. It's it's not a, a, a thing of these guys are not being presented these fights. It's just that Andre is not someone. Again, we go back to the conversation of he's telling them, "Hey, Andre is an option," but he's not. He's not promoting Andre to the fact, "Oh, you should face this face this guy." And that go back to what Matt was saying, where it's the money situation. If Eddie Hearn presents Andre to Triple G, there's really no reason for Triple G to fight Andre other than, you know, title or whatever whatever belt Andre has. But other than that. You, you don't think Eddie Hearn is telling him, this is not really a reasonable fight for you. You can wait for Canelo and we'll just give you some, some tune-up fights until then. There's no real reason for these guys to get in with these guys. And these promoters don't really care enough about these guys to make it a priority that these happen. Well, it's almost like the whole thing where you you have this so-called Canelo sweepstakes. You know, cue the prices Right music. Come on down. You have a fight with Canelo Alvarez or something. You know what I mean? And for some reason, Demetrius Andre's been sitting in the audience and he hasn't been picked and he's been there in the audience every single day for like four years straight and <laughs> hasn't been picked. Yeah, but he, he uh, one thing I will say about Andre is at least he he's not putting his career on hold waiting for Canelo. You know, I respect that about him. You got a lot of these guys that's just sitting around waiting for a Canelo payday, and they're not really trying to make no moves. I just feel like Andre has a promoter that's not interested in delivering the fights for him, uh, and that's basically what it is. Putting his career on, not putting his career on hold is relative because he ain't fought nobody. So is his career, like, really moving, or is it, like, well, he's been staying busy. Yeah, Vinci's been doing that. Okay. And um, and he's making he's making good money. 
um, at Matchroom. It's just the, the quality of the fights is not there. Like, I don't understand. You turn down the Charlo fight. You you don't get the Derevianchenko fight. Why hasn't he fought Danny Jacobs? Why hasn't he fought Callum Smith? Well, you know why he ain't fighting Daniel Jacobs. Yeah, but that friends and family bullshit. That, that's that's <laughs> gotta that's gotta stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna go out the window, huh? So oh man, so you know there's like two fighters that I see right now at middleweight that could be fighting Demetrius Andre later on. That would be the best possible fights that he could have Which at 160. Two? One, I don't think is going to happen, and that's Chris Eubank. The second is the now the current top-rated contender for the WBO title in Jaime Munguia, and that's it. I think the Eubank fight could, could happen. It's the Munguia fight I don't see happening. I think mm. Eubank is more likely than the McGee fight, too. Wow, interesting. Then what in the world would Munguia do after his fight that he has coming up? Because he uh yeah, he has um pretty high rankings there in, in, in middleweight with the WBC and WBO. Yeah, but so. Munguia already turned down on the WBO mandatory. Oh, That's shit. why Liam Williams was Liam given a chance was, to fight yeah. for it. Oh god. Uh, and what in the world is Munguia going to end up doing then? then what's, the, what's the point of a being in middleweight? Well, here's the thing. I think um, what's happening is Oscar doesn't want to help any matchroom fighters. He's just waiting until his contract expires so he can take his entire stable to Triller. <laughs> to Triller. Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> Oh my God! And if it, well, the thing is, they they really didn't have much of a budget at at the zone anyway. So it's like, it's like, what's the point, you know, of having many that many fights there at the zone at this particular point in time? But geez, like, oh, Andre's just gonna be mad stuck right there, man. But yo, Matt, since you're on, uh, once you're assessment of the performance of El Campeon against Billy Joe Saunders. And if you still have your thoughts about Billy Joe Saunders now, given the updated news that we've had. <laughs> and before, he, before he answers, I want to say you can't clown me about watching this undercard because it wasn't worth watching anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, that that was a horrible undercard. By the I was way. about to say, you better give me something. Okay, thank you, man. Like it, it, it's actually a shame that such a massive event on such a massive stage with that big of a crowd was subjected to one of the worst undercards that I've seen in a very a long, long time. time. And, and the craziest thing is that the last fight card that I covered 
in what was that? For, of course, it was one of those the leap year day or whatever when they had Mikey Garcia against, of course, Rick the Model Martell as the main event. <laughs> that undercard was miles better than what we saw last night. Honestly, they should have just paid PBC to move the whole Andrew Ruiz card to Canelo's undercard. Oh, man. They would have been going nuts. I was just thinking that. Hey, nah, nah. Actually, you know what? No, they shouldn't do that because if they would have done that, then we probably would have seen seven fights happen in the crowd instead of just five. <laughs> uh, did you see Billy Joe Saunders' father get roughed up by security? <laughs> <laughs> Could have happened to a better guy. But uh, on Canelo's performance, the dude is just on another level, man. He, he, he was beating Saunders in every round, landing the harder punches, the cleaner punches, doing the body work, setting traps, and then he hit him with that that Marge Simpson uppercut from hell that cracked his whole shit open. And that's why you saw Canelo start celebrating like before the round was even over. He knew that Saunders was done. And, and Saunders knew he was done. And Saunders... For all the shit he talks, he is such a bitch. Quitting like a bitch. Crying in his towel. They even had to cut to an ambulance to show Saunders getting taken to a local medical facility like I was watching an episode of Monday Night Raw. Get the fuck out of here with that. Good <laughs> riddance. Good uh... riddance. But you got to give props to his promoter for at least trying to save face for him. Like, no I matter what people say about Eddie Hearn. The props because his promoter is the same guy who claimed that Daniel Dubois was faking his eye injury and he demanded to see x-rays. So fuck his promoter and fuck <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders. Is this the same Billy Joe Saunders that had choice comments for a Mr. Daniel Dubois? Yep. <laughs> that man said that he would have to be carried out of that ring before he quit, before he takes a knee. Well, he didn't take a knee, but his knee sure was bent on that stool while he was crying like a little bitch. Damn. So I got to give him props, though, because he at least went through the full round and didn't didn't take much punishment to that eye after that. He was hugging. He was hugging him. But if you look at his face after Canelo hit him with that uppercut, he looked like, wow, I, I really fucked up now. That's the face that he made. He looked scared. He, he was a bitch. You know, and, and this guy, all this gypsy warrior, blah, blah, blah. As soon as things got tough, he quit. Okay? You've only seen things get really tough for him one other time in his career, and that was against Chris Eubank Jr. 
And Billy Joe Saunders was holding on for dear life in that fight, too. But this time, he fucking quit. He, he showed that he ain't got that dog in him. He ain't never had that dog in him. And I actually hope that the gypsies kick him out of the fraternity. They got a time to turn in his, his trailer park or caravan, whatever the fuck they use. The traveler he, license? He's not allowed to be a traveler no more. <laughs> hey, speaking of Chris Eubank, before before I started this thing, I, I saw his uh, IG stories when he was reacting to <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders being <laughs> near the stool. He was like, look, he quit, he quit, he quit. This motherfucker was in a dentist chair. <laughs> yeah. Yo, he would. Uh, hey, I don't know what he cashed it on that bet. I guess, you know, that he had a 10K. <laughs> take, not bad. 10K, that's not a bad pull. But, man, I, uh, yo. Man, that Who did he bet? Up. Who did he bet? He bet, he bet on against Canelo. Saunders. Oh, to, um, for the stoppage? Yeah. Yeah, man, and you know he he kind of was like on there for that. And well, going back to you, Matt, you pretty much say you hope that this is the last fight of Billy yep. Jones on this career. I don't want to see him again. <laughs> you see now, you see people starting the rumor. Oh, his career may be over because he shattered his cheek. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. They, 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 they want us to feel sympathy for him. This is the MTK Global, uh, uh, like, they're trying to rehabilitate Billy Joe Saunders. Yo, in the words of Stephen A. Smith, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. All yeah, right? You had, you had that thing playing. I'm here to tell you right now, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> oh man oh but that uh, but it, i mean it just kind of goes into this thing here with with saunders man like he's able to he was able to get finagle his way to a fight against canelo alvarez and you know like i was saying man i i tried to call it on the dot all week man and I know, you know, World Rank gave me credit for it. You know, even like I said, I, I, I thought it would be nine rounds. It would be stopped in the ninth. They stopped it before the ninth. I just felt like, you know, Canelo was just going to break him down. And, you know, <laughs> Saunders was going to eventually fold. But he <laughs> folded off of one punch. He folded off of one punch. But... Uh, <sighs> You kind of like seen hints that he knew once he felt that first body shot. Second round, uppercut mm -hmm. to the stomach. Man, it was definitely the first round. <laughs> he, he knew that he was just in it against somebody who was elite. And... He had all of the talk leading into the fight. Oh, I'm not going to fight if it's a 20-foot ring. Canelo said, okay, I don't care. It could be 22 or 24. But once we get in the ring, I'm going to get to you, 
I'm going to find you and I must break you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He beat the hell out of him. And it was great to watch. You know, Billy Joe Saunders for uh, for the whole, he's like a master boxer and all this stuff. He didn't throw not one jab to Canelo's body the entire fight. You know, his his punch variety was trash. You only zero. made six body it, shots but, the entire fight. But it goes back to the overall skill level and strategy of Canelo. He did the same thing to Billy Joe Saunders that he did to Callum Smith in that yeah, I'm going to go to your body, but if you want to make the decision to try to block that shot to the body, I'm going to hit your arm and I'm going to hit the hell out of it. So if you even think that you could try to get off on me with your left hand or your right hand or whatever it is, you're not going to have the power that you think you have behind that left hand, Billy Joe Saunders, because I'm going to continuously hit that left hand and make you have second thoughts of even throwing it. Yep. That's why you didn't really see any left hands from Billy Joe Saunders until like round four. And when you did see it, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like really, uh, Arm punches and it sound. I felt like he was saying eh, like that, you know, just like wasn't a lot of umph to it. Did you did you see Derek James interview after the fight? Nah. Oh, oh he he crushed Saunders. He was like Saunders ain't even show up. What was that? He said he said Saunders did not show up, and he was talking about Saunders punch variety also, which I was. Shocked, like I thought Saunders was a master boxer. He was basically throwing the same type of jab the entire fight. Right. He wasn't changing no eye levels. It was, it was. But, but it was the like thing he just is, there to sell his belt. But well, do the Mike yeah. Tyson voice, uh, Jay. Do the Mike Tyson voice. I mean, let me tell you. Something. I mean, listen, listen. Let me tell you something about Billy Joe Saunders, right? Billy Joe Saunders was confident going into the fight, but everybody got a plan until they get hit in the face. And once he got hit in the face, he broke down, man. He was a punk. He was a punk, man. You know what I'm saying? There you have it. <laughs> oh, man. Like, you seen that from, yeah, Derek James said it. Like, um, Edgar Belanga said it. Like, Billy Joe Saunders just, he just didn't have it, man. You know? And, you know, going to what you were saying there, Matt, as far as like this overall so-called boxing skill from Billy Joe Saunders. <sighs> it looks like boxing skill when you go up against guys that aren't necessarily at your level. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of like is pointing to him against David Lemieux. And why are people forgetting that David Lemieux really wasn't that much of a I wouldn't even say he was very good. I'm just gonna put it out there. He's just I mean, a power puncher. He's just a power puncher. So that's why, like, when I come up with the 
constant criticism of Gennady Gennadyevich Golovkin. I said there was a specific reason why he chose to fight David Lemieux right off the rip instead of Andy Lee or, you know, any anyone else there that was within middleweight at the top of the middleweight division. When he chose to have a unification fight, he chose David Lemieux, who went 12 rounds with Hassan Endom. Come on. Like, nah. Like, David Lemieux is just not, nah, you just can't, you know, see him being any type, anywhere near an elite level. And so you talk about, oh, Billy Joe Saunders' boxing skill or his footwork or anything like that. One, like I said, it was against David Lemieux. And two, it was at 160 pounds, not at 168. So I want to know, what did Billy Joe Saunders do at 168 pounds that said that he had that type of boxing skill and that type of movement at super middleweight that had him have some type of a chance against Canelo Alvarez? Nothing. No one could come up with nobody Nothing. could come up with anything. So he got he got rocked by she fat a Sufi. <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like that's why I was like, yo, you I think yeah, that's why the I think that plan for him to fight Canelo was pretty much in the works. Um, not that long after Canelo had his fight with Callum Smith, you know, um, they just, you know, put him in and some stay busy fight against Martin Murray and just let him, you know, go through the motions, just had him secure his spot and that was it, you know, but he, he doesn't have much of a shot. And, and like I told Mike and world rank earlier, there's only one fighter out there that I feel has any that has any close proximity to making it a 50-50 fight against Canelo Alvarez. And his name is Archer Betterbia. I don't see that. <laughs> so you think Archer Betterbia chances are better than uh Jamal Jamal Charlo? Yes. Jamal. Yes. Uh, give explanation, please. At least with better BF, he would have something that Canelo would respect. I don't see it in Jamal Charlo. Did you watch Jamal Charlo his last few fights? Yeah, and that's at 160 pounds. Okay. If once he goes up to 168, Will he have that same type of movement? I don't think so. Will he have the ability to will he have the ability to deal with a a sharp counterpuncher like Canelo? Uh, I don't know about all that. How old is Better BF? Better Probably BF. 35. Yeah, about 35. Maybe about 35. Because you know, he, he was on that. You know how the Eastern yeah, thirty-six. Games are. They like to beat up on junior high school kids for like three Olympic <laughs> cycles. He was so one of those. Shit, too. Man. I, 
but I, I want oh I, I would like that fight with Canelo and, and Better BF to happen next year, but I want Better BF to have two fights in particular before May of next year. Of course, against Joe Smith Jr. and against Demetri Baval. So you would have undisputed versus undisputed there at 175. And Canelo will move up to 175 to go up against Archer Better BF. That that'll be that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be a hell of a legacy fight. Like it's, I mean, he didn't already submit his legacy, but that'd be pretty pretty dope. And and I and, and I know that you know Canelo, his plan is to fight for another seven years, but. If he if he goes ahead, he he has his fight with Caleb Plant. He beats Caleb Plant, becomes undisputed super middleweight champion. Then Archer Betterbev goes ahead and takes out Joe Smith Jr. and beats Dimitri Bavol. <laughs> man, and beats Dimitri Bavol and becomes undisputed champion at one seventy five. You would have undisputed versus undisputed. Like I don't see any anything else that Canelo could basically do at that 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 point. Well, you don't think that maybe if Jamal tries to fight the other champions at one sixty, that might entice Canelo to come back down. You mean after Canelo lets the belts go after he unified and dispersed the belts? I don't think he's gonna let the belts go. I think he'll just go down and wait to fight the one-off against uh, the undisputed guy at 160. I don't have much hope in 160 for it to ever be undisputed. If it hasn't happened, if it if it didn't happen when Mr. All the Belts, try, you know, was claiming that he was trying to go after him, if it didn't happen then, I don't think it's going to happen now. You know, it... It's almost like I don't have much hope for for the one hundred sixty pound division. Like you got all these guys right there, and you mean to tell me you can't have any type of these unification fights? And the only unification fight that people are talking about is probably the worst unification fight that y'all could make. Oh yep. my god! Oh. which is what? Uh, Triple G versus Murata. Oh, who exactly? The the Japan's guy. Oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, that's just horrible, man. I can't even take. I can't take it. It's yo. It's almost like looking like one hundred sixty pound division right now is looking like one hundred sixty eight was before you had Canelo come up. Oh, yeah, but man. that's my whole thing. Is Jamal Charlo not a big enough name to start belt collecting like Canelo did at 168? You're telling me he can't get the Android fight? He can't get the Murata fight? He can't maybe, if he has all three belts, get Triple G to get off his ass and, and fight somebody? I don't think so. Nope. And I think I think the goal is other than heavy heavyweight and Canelo because he's the the cash cow, 
the goal is to have four different champions in each division from different promoters. I don't think there's any nowadays. There's no way that they really want these guys to unify unless you like money, money, or you the heavyweight champ, heavyweight champ, or Canelo. Other than that, they trying to divide these belts up and have each promoter have one. If you look at every division and you look at the champions, all of them basically from different promoters, and they don't really intertwine with each other. I don't know. Um, Top rank got one forty, kind of sold down, sold up. That's about it. But the World Bob Organization. You know, <laughs> got, well, top like, rank got 140 sold, sold up because they signed Josh Taylor after he got his belts. It's not yep. like they had him and then um, they were cleaned up the division. No, he won the belts and then they signed them afterwards. They had the belt sold up with Terrence Crawford fighting uh, the poor competition. Yeah, but what happened when? It was time for Regis Progray to come up. Terrence Crawford moved up to 147. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I've never understood that. Why do people become undisputed that just let their belts go? Nobody. So somebody can't. So somebody can't do a. Um, what's the dude who got knocked out in the in the last round? He was winning the fight. Um, his chin, uh, dark skin guy, Meldrick Taylor. No, um, Jermaine Taylor. Jermaine Taylor, thank you. Didn't he win undisputed off of somebody like that? He, off won, of Hopkins. Uh, he Hopkins. went off the of Hopkins off of a decision where you had Luther Bella cheering, cheering more than anybody in that particular ring when that decision came down. I yeah, but look how long Hopkins was undisputed for. You know, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to be undisputed and just lord over a division. What I'm saying is people let the belts go so somebody can't come and beat them and then have that undisputed title off of just one fight. Yeah, that's just stupid. And plus, most sanctioning bodies don't allow them to do that. They'll give them one. They might give them one fight and then they like, you got to defend with ours. And then the other one saying, you got to defend mine. And then they got to like when... um. 54 Charlo, when he unified with Castillo or Castellano, Castano. yeah, yeah. he's going to vacate some of them belts. I can assure you of that. Somebody's going to take a belt or he's going to have to vacate or something because they won't, they're not going, they're not going to allow that. Um, yeah, because of course you got the whole thing with um, the IBF be tripping because, you know, after Jamel Charlo, you know, beat <clears throat> Jason Rosario. You know, you really hadn't had no IVF mandatory, and nobody really knows much about the IVF mandatory there at 154 pounds. No, he got a mandatory. Ooh, that murder Zalia? Yeah, you remember um, the mandatory, they actually paid him to step aside so Charlo could become undisputed. And they, they actually have been putting him on PBC undercards as part of the deal to step aside. So once Charlo becomes undisputed, he's going to be the first one that gets that first crack at Charlo. Oh, well, good for the IVF in that particular part because you barely hear them actually trying to do it. Who, who want to make a bet that that fight don't happen? Ooh. Say that again? Who want to make a bet that that fight won't happen? Ah, who will bet me to say that that fight will happen? Because I'm betting that that fight won't happen. 
You think Al Heyman gonna screw over uh Edges Climus? He's gonna either Charlo's gonna move up or somebody else gonna move up. They, he's not gonna fight, they're not gonna fight somebody outside of PBC. You know, honestly, I would be very disappointed if Charlo moves up after he becomes undisputed because there is still so much work for him at 154. You still got the you still got Lubin if he could beat Rosario. You still got Fundora. You still got Zoo, which could be a huge mega fight in Australia. Oh like, man, there's, there's a would... lot of work for Charlo where he could make a lot of money. Nobody Charlo versus Zoo would probably be his most lucrative fight that he'll have in his career. Right. Charlo who? Tim Zoo. Oh, nobody gonna fight Fundora. No, Fundora gonna get his shot. Now Fundora might get his shot because he's what PB. But those horn and all those, I mean not horn, but uh zoo and all those guys, they're gonna get some bacon belts. The same thing with um with Taylor and Ramirez. They got uh that that Caterall dude waiting. He's not going imagine Josh Taylor and Ramirez, the winner of that fight fighting Caterall. Well, I think Taylor versus Caterall will actually be a, a decent sized event in the UK and it could be like a homecoming basically for Josh Taylor. Yeah, that's that's fair. Ramirez when he definitely ain't fighting. Nah, nah, yeah. nah, nah. Yeah, it definitely ain't happening. You know, but I mean, yeah, the whole thing with these belts and undisputed and trying to defend under undisputed, like is is I don't know why it's so difficult right now for you know these fighters to do it. You know, just go ahead and you know make that joint happen, man, and. You know that that's why I would like to see there with um, you know Canelo because come after September this year, you know we get that thing over Killer Plant, then you know he'll have that win. And my thing is, you still have fights that could happen at 168 pounds with the guy by the name of David Benavidez that's still out there that he could have a fight with at 168. Um, if he don't have his fight with, you know, Arthur better be if so. Yeah, my thing with the undisputed titles, man, like if you if you're going to go for undisputed, it's one thing to go for undisputed. But what's the point if you're not going to defend the undisputed title? Yeah, I, I, I just don't get that mentality. You know, so. Welcome I mean, to 2000, whatever year this is. <laughs> Yeah, 2021, 2020, 2019, it's not much different, you know. <laughs> you still have, you know, the same thing going on in reference to, you know, unifying and being undisputed, you know, in that instance. Um, if I'm undisputed, I want to I wanna whoop everybody's ass. I'm lording over that division for a long time. But most people think that when they get undisputed, they didn't already did the work. So Crawford probably thought when he became undisputed, he did all the work. It was nobody else in that division that was worth anything to, you know, to fight. So I'm gonna move up. It was already nobody worth anything. That's fair. Him. That's fair too. Yeah, and the thing is, they already had plans for Crawford. All he had, all he had to do was just say, "Okay, I'm undisputed at 140." He wanted to move up to 147 for at least a year, you know, before his opportunity to uh, become undisputed. But you know that 
that just is one thing like a feather on this cap at this at, at that particular point. So uh that is what that is. Um, yeah, but how good would Terrence Crawford's resume look if he would have stayed at 140? It's not like he has a problem staying in shape. He probably could have still been making 140. Now imagine if he was the guy that was fighting Barrett and Zapata and Pedraza and Taylor and Progre and Ramirez and just beating the hell out of these dudes. But we would be looking at Terrence Crawford as an all-time great. No, we wouldn't. Those like those guys aren't that good either. They're okay, but they're not. They're not Danny Garcia. They're not Tim Bradley at one forty. And those guys, when he was, they they wasn't around. So he's not looking at. Oh, let me. Progray was next. Progray was 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 next in line. He was coming up. I don't know if Progray was a big enough name to stay around at that time. Progray even ain't that good to me now. He's he's okay. Like watching his fights, he got height, but like Progray okay. He ain't. He ain't Danny Garcia even now. Can we even? I don't even know who Progray beat. Who he beat? In Dongo? He beat in Dongo, right? In Dongo, which yeah. ain't that fucking good. <laughs> I mean, I see the point of staying around. Even Jermaine Taylor, when he took the titles from Hopkins, they started stripping immediately. So when he fought Pavlik, I don't even think he had all the belts. Yeah, but that was that was years ago. I feel like these sanctioned bodies now are more willing to work together and put the belts in rotation. As long as you're a decent draw. Mm. And I, no, I was looking up the thing there for progress, man. Okay. Indongo, Joel Diaz, Terry Flanagan, Carl Relic. That's his... That's his basically his resume at one forty. Skill wise, you know? is he like how good is he skill wise to y'all? Like, tell me, tell me a, a fighter he's better than a semi-known well, fighter. He might be the second best guy at one forty if he could make one forty. Is that saying much at one forty? Like, who? One forty. He's better than Broner at one forty when Broner was at one forty. Broner, Broner ain't that good though. Okay, uh, that's that's a good point. I'm I'm not trying to diminish that, but Broner's not a good. Are one. we are we really sure that that Taylor beat Progray? I wasn't. I, I wasn't. It was even fight. I you know I, I it wasn't either way. It would have been okay. Somebody tell me I'm wrong in saying that Progray is okay, but ain't like. That that good. I mean, he's one of the best in the division. That that's all you can really ask for from a fighter. How good the division is, we don't know. But he's one of the three best guys in it. I mean, that's all you can pretty much say at this point, you know, for Regis Rograce, man. I still I mean, question I know. Chin, though. I still think I, I, it's something about. I don't know about his chance. I, I still think there's a might be a chance you would. No, his I mean, chin. I wouldn't say his chin. I think a bigger issue for Progray is his dedication to the sport. He's always struggling with weight. 
Yeah. Like this dude, instead of uh getting a real workout and a boxing style workout, this motherfucker is busy wrestling alligators. That's not that's not that's not boxing workouts. He wrestling he wrestled alligators for real? Yes. And another thing is promote whoever he's promoted by, they're not pushing him like he should. Like after that Taylor fight, he should have got something really big. Now he's on thriller undercards and uh, Well, because you have to remember he left his promoter. He was with Lou DeBella. Yeah. And uh, he decided to part ways with him, so now he's basically a free agent. He had the the PVC deal, but for some reason he decided to move on after one fight, and now he's in limbo. Now he's calling out Adrian Broner uh, on the internet. Why are you calling out Broner? There's a lot of guys at PVC that that he can fight besides Broner that'll give him some work. Why does he want to fight Broner of all people? He could fight Robert Easton Jr. at 140 pounds. Oh, I don't care about Robert Easton. I know you don't. <laughs> Who gives a shit about Robert Easton? <laughs> <laughs> You're horrible, man. Boy, man, he need to fight at 147 because he can't make weight anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing with progress. He can't. Yeah, he can't make weight at no 140. So, I mean. Well, he needs to get a meaningful, a meaningful fight. All right. I'm forgetting about him. Uh, all right. I have, um, man, I got to figure this thing out. So weekend, next weekend, we got Luis Neri versus <laughs> Brandon Figueroa. Let's go. Now that is coming up at, in Carson, California. So I guess there's going to be a crowd for this particular fight. So don't just watch the fight in the ring, but watch out for fights outside of the ring. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. But here's my thing. Um, man, I, I probably got to check on, I guess, the email blast or whatever it is, because on PBC, you don't even see what the co-feature about is, man. Like, come on, man. You talking about for this fight? Yeah. This is a good card, man. Like, how come they ain't promoting it on their own Dagum website, man? Well, you gotta talk to uh PBC about that, but well, this well, is I a good talk card. To, uh... This is actually um one of their better cards. Man, I gotta see. Let's see who else they got. Okay, they got yeah. Xavier so they got Martinez. Danny Roman against Ricardo Espinosa in the co-main, and they got Xavier Martinez against Juan Carlos Burgos. Damn, this shit don't start until ten o'clock. God damn. Because they 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 trying yeah, to get on the West Coast. The 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 Mexicans. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a garbage card, man. <laughs> you think so? You talking about Juan Carlos Burgos? Ain't he like 57? <laughs> I think this is a good card, man. Man, he just washed my own. Who he for? Haney? Haney just, man, he like 57. Yeah. Oh, man. He did. <laughs> I think this is a good card, man. And who is, the, who is Espinosa? I never even heard of that dude. I know who Roman is. Who is Espinosa? Ricardo Espinosa. Well, just because you never heard of somebody. 
does not mean that they're not going to give us a good fight. Hey, Matt, you know who that is? No. My point exactly. <laughs> I don't know who it is, so they must not be good. <laughs> well, a lot, of, a lot of fighters must not be good to you there, Mike. <laughs> Jeez, man, he fought World Haney fought Juan Carlos Burgos in 2018. God damn, boy. Man. <laughs> Mini Burgos is his nickname. <laughs> Mini Burgos. I, I guarantee you that this card is going to be action-packed. Oh, boy, man. Yeah, this is... Uh... Wait, that's a WBA Super Featherweight title eliminator? What? <laughs> yeah, why not? Oh, my why not? God. Man, Burgos ain't do nothing since 2008, man. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Dang, I mean, <laughs> he's losing a Mikey Garcia. Oh, man. It's all right. <laughs> Oh jeez, man! Oh man! Hey, I maybe Danny Romano will be have a, a better performance this time around. In comparison, I bet every to fight ends with a knockout. Yeah, because the B side is trash. No, but it's gonna be exciting. Like, well, like, what do you guys want from from these boxing matches, man? Like, I saw the sweet science up and close and personal yesterday. With that French guy uh, versus the British Sissoko guy. versus Conway? Yeah. It was trash. I don't like the sweet science. I want to see people getting their heads knocked off. That may be true, but let's be let's have a competitive fight. Let's have it not one way. You know what I'm saying? Not one but way. How, but how, how do you know it's not going to be competitive? If, if, if PBC has shown us anything, I think we should... Whenever PBC announces a card, we should just shut up and see how it goes. Because every time PBC does a card, somehow these fights turn out better than we expected them to turn out. At least the ones on Showtime. The ones on Fox, fuck them. You know, the, <laughs> like, the ones on Fox are always garbage, even though that's going to change too. Okay. According okay. to my man Jake Donovan, they got some heat coming soon that they're going to announce. But, um, the PBC cards on Showtime have been excellent for the last year. And, you know, the Showtime schedule that they have is, is yeah, it's, it's really good. But going back to this thing here for this particular card coming up, you know, for next Saturday, right? And they say like that undercard is trash. All right. So let's let's compare that thing with uh, Neri versus Figueroa as the main event to a card that's going to happen the following week. Josh Taylor versus Jose Carlos Ramirez for the Undisputed Super Lightweight title. Okay, cool. Here are the fights under that. Now, this card is trash. What? Read this one. What? Jose Zapata. That's a good fight. <laughs> Versus Hank Lundy. Oh no! Nah, Are you fucking fight. kidding me? <laughs> oh, <nah. laughs> that's not a good fight. 
No, what's the other? What's the other? It's another fight on there. That's a good. Elvis one. Rodriguez versus Kenneth Sims Jr. Nah, that's trash. What's the other? It's another one too. Give me one more. The next one I know is a good fight. Yeah, I don't know, but another one. I, I, you know, oh, that's I not the one. With, um, that's not the one with Pedraza and um, and uh, Rodriguez. No. <laughs> no, no, oh, not oh, that one. Oh, okay, that's oh no, that must be on a Josh. That's the Josh Taylor card, right? That's the Josh Taylor card. Oh man, they done switched up the fights on me. <laughs> Sounds like world rank fell for the banana in the tailpipe. Oh boy. Oh, uh, that's just uh yeah, that's just oh my goodness, cause cause yeah, cause they got this whole thing with the um that Ramirez Taylor and then the Stevenson Nakatila. Oh my God. Man, that's God botch. <laughs> yeah, Padraj is fighting on the Puerto Rican card. Against uh Hammerhands, right? Against uh yeah, Julian Rodriguez. <laughs> okay, that's not the same. Okay. Oh, but that's man. not until June. Them, yeah, that must be a whole different thing because they got that, that's the Puerto Rican weekend card. Well, oh. um, Shakur's gonna fight Naka, oh, Nakatila. Okay, so then he's part of that one. Oh, jeez, man. Man, I hope Nakatila mm. knocks this dude head off, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that motherfucker, Shakur, man. I swear, poor <laughs> guy. Oh my god, yo, like. <laughs> Yo, just keep man. They should they should just hold them on ice so that we could at least get a unification. Could we get a unification fight at Super Featherweight? Could we at least get that? Cause I listen, Jamel Herring does want to go ahead and face Oscar Valdez. So let's just go ahead and have that fight this year and just put Shakur Stevenson in some other fight. You know that you can have it super featherweight. <laughs> let them, <laughs> like, let them fight. Uh, let them fight someone else there at one hundred and thirty pounds, man. In the in the in the meantime, man, like, don't call on no mandatory at this particular point when you can have a unification. You know, you know the mean? only the only reason why Shakur is so eager to fight uh, Herring is because he thinks that Herring is going to be easy to beat. He wasn't this eager to fight Josh Warrington. He wasn't this eager to fight Emmanuel Navarrete when Navarrete moved up to 126. But now that he found somebody who he think is is food, now all of a sudden he eager. Get out of here with this guy, man. <laughs> oh, man. Let him, let him go ahead and face Abraham Nova after this fight. How about that? Yeah, or how about he give Joette Gonzalez a rematch? <laughs> I guess that would be the case, man, because, yeah, we, I mean, we, we, they got to have some things shaking there at 130 pounds. And you still have the IBF title vacant at 130 pounds, too. So that's, oh, my goodness, man. But, yo, this is like, what, about a two-hour and 30-minute podcast, man, this went. In uh, for this particular episode, is we're gonna be transitioning over to the seventh season of the Boxing Source Radio Show. This has been six 
seasons complete already. <laughs> Damn, boy. How many of these uh, seasons uh, has it been since Fury versus Joshua was announced? <laughs> man, it's only been within a half season, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? Every week that fight finalized. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, we will. Yeah, we'll get. We'll have another conversation going down, man. And we'll have this thing available as always on iTunes or whatever you use for podcasts, man. But big thanks to. All of the contributors to the Boxing Source Radio Show, World Rank, Mike Grady, Mr. Matthew Brown, of course, Terrell from Tampa <laughs> as a contributor, <laughs> and, and the guests that have been part of this uh, podcast over, you know, the past season, man. And um, we we going we gonna to keep it going, man, of course, yo, because this is what we do. We just talk boxing. You really, like I said, this is according to sources but this is actuality the longest running boxing podcast in existence you can look it up look it up that's what it is uh and if anyone has if anyone disputes it i could bring the receipts up Uh, with that being said, that's the conclusion of this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. We will get back at it next week. And like I say at the end of every show, folks, the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit like how Billy Joe Saunders got hit with that uppercut from Ronaldo <laughs> Alvarez. Not to stay in the trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a Bob good evening. Squad, baby. <laughs> <laughs>